Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Sophomore Scholars Podcast, and we are your hosts, Matthew and me, Tanish. On today's episode, Forgotten, Far, Far Away, we are going to be using literary theories to examine our independent reading books. So with that being said, Tanish, could you give us a quick summary of the book you read? So, uh, the book I read, Neverwhere, by Neil Gaiman. The story is set in 20th century London. The main character, Richard, uh, was an ordinary middle-class citizen. One day, he and his fiancée, Jessica, were going to meet her father when he saw an injured girl on the sidewalk. Uh, Against Jessica's judgment, he took the girl back to his place, helped her out, and soon realized that she was from a different place called the London Below. After helping her return to the London Below, he unintentionally became a part of that world, thus erasing him from the presence from London, uh, otherwise known as London Above, and making him forgotten to all the people he he knew. Understandably, he wanted to return to his normal life and not be part of this medieval story-like world. Uh, Whilst trying to return uh, to modern society, he meets up with the girl, and together with other characters, they protect London Below, while also finding a path for Richard to return to his normal life. Upon returning, Richard realizes that his perspective has changed and he doesn't want to be part of the London he used to know anymore due to the adventure and the experiences he partook in. At the end of the book, he returns to the place he once ran from, London Below. Okay, well that's enough said about me. What about you, Matthew? Okay, so the book I read was Children of Time by Adrian Tchaikovsky. So my book is set in the future where humanity has entered the spacefaring age and is sending colony ships out to terraform and prepare distant worlds for human colonization. One of these ships was sabotaged and eventually destroyed by a fanatic person who belonged to a group that strongly opposed this concept of colonizing distant worlds. The only survivor was a scientist named Avrana Kern Before placing herself in stasis, which is where you freeze yourself to let large amounts of time pass, she released a nanovirus onto the terraformed planet beneath her with the goal of evolving the planet's native life into monkeys. 200 years later, in an arc ship ship called the Gilgamesh, arrives from a destroyed Earth to this planet and encounters Kern. Kern forbids them from landing on the planet because she is unaware of the destruction of Earth and wants to protect her monkeys. Unbeknownst to her, the nanovirus has instead evolved the ants and spiders on the planet. This advanced form of ants and spiders have been fighting, but a deadly virus threatens to wipe out the spiders. This constant fighting aboard the Gilgamesh and this virus leads to a fated encounter between the spiders and the crew of the Gilgamesh. Wow, that's a very different story from anything I've ever read. Uh, Actually, I have a few questions about this new spider society, so... Matthew, what does it mean to be a man in the society, and what does it mean to be a woman? So, um, in the society of the spiders, the females are viewed as superior to the males. While this is opposite of what is described in feminist theory, the concepts and ideas that make it up can still be applied. The men are meant for reproduction and, and, and to do the very menial and simple tasks. They answer directly to the women are often viewed as inferior. The women are the leaders and fill the more prominent and important roles, such as serving in the military, political leaders, and prominent scientists. All right. Um, my next question is, since the text was written by a man, how does he portray and or describe women? 
So um, Adrian portrays women as the prominent figures in society. All of the all of the men spiders who can all of the main spiders who contribute towards trying to cure the virus are all females. He also portrays women as the leaders in this society as the leading command the males to do the task for them. Okay, I'm gonna be completely honest for a second. This is completely off script, by the way. I have a huge fear of spiders. I think it's called arachnophobia or something. And whenever you started talking about in your summary about spider people and monkeys accidentally mutating to spiders, it just set off so many survival instincts and triggers inside of me. Goosebumps all over my body. But after you started talking about the book, and I'll explain this a little more in the next question. After you started talking about what the book really means and how women are portrayed, it's really given me some good insight and I'm starting to like the book. But like I said in the next question, I'll explain more. Speaking of the next question, my final question is, how and why are males challenging the status quo in this text? The males start to challenge the status quo of them being inferior because themselves and their species as a whole is under threat of extinction as a result of this virus. This self-preservation instinct is driving them to want to take a more prominent role and help to cure the virus. They do this by, having, by working under the female scientists and starting to ask a lot more in-depth questions to try to make themselves as useful as possible in the hope that they will be seen as more effective and worth equal status. That's a super interesting and kind of refreshing take to what we see every day in our, in our lives. Instead of the women challenging the status quo, men instead are challenging the status quo and women have the highest status in society. So it's, I, I really like it and I might check out that book. Speaking of status in society, Tanish, which class does Richard belong to? And how does that affect his personal personality, beliefs, and life? So Richard belongs to the middle class in London, uh, he, he's a very vanilla person, he works in a marketing agency, has his own desk, little trolls figures on it, uh, lives in an apartment, but after rescuing the, the girl said in the, the summary, and unintentionally becoming a part of London below, he was put into a society without a strong sense of classes, uh, very different from London above where all things were done by trades instead of money, like an item for a favor, uh, vice versa. It made him feel like an alien visiting a foreign planet, which he, which he was in a way. While the change didn't affect his personality, per se, the journey he took through the new place changed his beliefs and made him want to be part of London Below at the end of the book. Wow, such a controversial and really in-depth analysis of his personality. I really enjoyed listening to that. So uh, the second question is, um, does Richard accept or resist these changes in the London Below? Um, as previously stated, he in fact prefers the new society in which, uh, it, because it gives him a sense of happiness which does not involve money, uh, which is, in my opinion, most of the happiness uh, in modern world and in normal London. So no doubt he fully accepts and prefers the new changes and the new place. With that being said, how do you think the plot would change if Richard was born into the London Below rather than the London Above? I think if he was born into London Below and he goes on a similar adventure traveling throughout London Above, I think he would prefer London Above. The The reason he preferred London Below in the first place is, is because it gave him something London Above didn't. A sense of adventure was greater 
which was greater than a sense of happiness other than money. If he was born in London below and he grew up running from monsters and barely escaping life, I mean, uh, barely escaping from things with this life every day, I think that he would prefer a calm, safe, simple life. And in my opinion, I think everyone prefers things that they don't have and Richard would be no different living in London below. Thanks a lot for that insight, Tanish. But now, let's switch gears to psychoanalytic theory. And for a change, we will both be answering the same question. That being said, take it away, Tanish. Thank you. So, the question is, how do past events and the fear of being forgotten influence and shape the protagonist or characters and or characters' decisions and destructive behavior? Uh, I'll be answering this first. So, after Richard accidentally became part of the London Below and was erased from normal life in London Above, he became visible and uh, forgotten in a way to everyone. Understandably, uh, I think most people would agree with this, he became furious, sad, and felt helpless because he lost everything and everyone he loved. This fear of being forgotten by all his friends and family urged him to find a way to return to his world uh, and be remembered once more by everyone, even at the cost of his own life. He wanted uh, his fiance back, his job, his colleagues, and his life in general due to the sense of fear he had, he decided to join the girl on her journey to find out about her parents, while in exchange she helps him return to his world. Also in the process they saved, uh, they saved the world, so that's a plus. But I believe uh, if it were not for the fear of losing his friends and the loved ones he had, there was no possibility, no chance that Richard, a shy, timid guy, would go on this adventure of a lifetime in which he narrowly escaped death every second. Okay, well, that was mine. Uh, Matthew, let's let's hear from you. Alright, um, so... When the crew of the Gilgamesh first arrived at the system that housed Kern's frozen body and the planet given the name Kern's World, they were greeted by an AI named Eliza Kern, who was an AI that slowly evolved to match Avrana Kern's traits and personality. Eliza tried to reason with the crew of the Gilgamesh, but when they remained adamant that they be allowed to land on Kern's world, Eliza made the decision to wake up Avrana. Avrana was even more defensive than Eliza, and forbid them from landing on her planet. She even threatened to fire a focused laser beam to disable or even completely destroy the Gilgamesh, which could have resulted in the extinction of the human race. Initially, this seems like a very foolish decision for someone to be so intent on wiping out her own species. However, looking at the events that happened 200 years earlier cannot provide a reason and motive for why she acted the way she did. Kern was preparing herself to embark on a mission of a lifetime and possibly lead humanity into a new age when all of those carefully laid plans fell apart at the hands of the maniac traitor. The physical and mental toll of watching the people you have spent so long with dying in a matter of minutes can damage someone per permanently. Her decision to release the nanovirus anyway, a decision that could have been motivated by her thinking that, oh, this is what her fallen friends would have wanted, could have created this almost maternal connection between her and what she thought were going to be her monkeys. Before Avrana entered stasis, she probably expressed doubt and concern that she might never wake up and never see another human being again. These last moments of concern might explain why Eliza, 
slowly took on Avrana's traits as a way to make sure she was not forgotten. Yeah, I think both of our books have super interesting storylines and conflicts that the characters have to go through. Nevertheless, though, even though the setting of these books differ, uh, the use of literary theories as different lenses give us the ability to find common ideas and themes throughout both books. And with that being said, thank you for listening to this episode on Forgotten Far, Far Away, and we hope to see you in the next one.